Dr. Amal Moroghi is an affiliated lecturer at the University of Cambridge and is an intercultural and Middle East specialist. Amal grew up in Iraq as a Christian and moved to Belgium with her family in her late teens. Amal gives a first-hand account of what it's like to grow up as part of a religious minority. She has since founded two charities. I'd like to first gain an insight into your early life. I understand that you were born in Iraq, a predominantly Muslim country, and grew up there. Can you tell me what life was like in general, and particularly living within a Christian family? I think that the earliest years of my life are the happiest. We, um, a Christian family, we lived in a place that was predominantly Muslim, but it felt like a big family, that we were living a big family. You know, like, I mean, it's just, um, you know, like in the Arab world, you call everyone auntie and uncle. And it was really, everyone was an auntie and an uncle. You know, it was like a big, big family. You know, there were um, all sorts of people, you know, Sunni, Shiites, uh, Turkmen's, Kurds, um, even Christians from different uh, churches um, and from villages as well, because they're, you know, like you belong to villages more than anything else. And really, like, I just, you know, it was like a big family. You go to school and you meet there, you know, the children that you are playing with um, um, outside school. And the teachers were friends of your parents. So it was really, it was the happiest, you know, like I never thought, of course, we were very, aware that we were different, we were Christian and at a very young age. But I had a family that allowed me to rediscover my identity in service of others. So, you know, like that's that's really very, very important when you start thinking about differences. And it's the, um, you know, the surrounding that you have and the experience that you have that will shape you. And it's up to you what to do with that, you know, with that experience and the surrounding that voice that you get. Sounds like a big mixture around you. So did you find that there was tolerance and friendliness from from your non-Christian neighbours too? You felt integrated into the community despite having another religion. You didn't feel too restricted in terms of practising your faith externally outside of the confines of your own home and specific Christian communities. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the answer to that is yes and no. You know, like it's always very difficult. There's a thin line between uh, what you call free. No one is ever free completely and especially in the in the middle east you know like you have traditions you have customs and then you're it's not only because of your religion that you're restricted but also the mentality is different so i was aware from a very young age that you know i could do many things because i was a christian it wasn't prohibited but out of respect for my muslim neighbors i wouldn't do them um and even language you know like we spoke aramaic home it was really strictly aramaic and no other language but once we've you know, we would put a foot outside the house, it was Arabic. Because in my family, it was like everyone has the right to understand what you are saying. So it's very impolite to start speaking Aramaic with your friends, with your with your sisters, while everyone else around you doesn't speak that language. So, you know, there, there were some uh, very nice rules and uh, guidelines that we, we would get. Um, and that will, you know, like, and that, I think that people around us, even the Muslims around us, were, you know, appreciated that, and they knew that we were a family with, with principles, with values, very proud of our faith, um, and uh, we are, uh, we were Christians and Catholic through and through, but at the same time, very open and very respectful. Uh, so, and and I think that is mutual, you know, like when people see that, they really appreciate 
um, your integrity. And at the same time, you know, like, and if they, they are Muslims or people who don't understand your faith, you know, you just, you, you just accept it as a fact of life, you know, and then you have not to moan and you just have to see how you can um, live in a, in a difficulty. You know, like, I think that each one of us will, will have some sort of difficulties. You know, in my case was how to reconcile um, being a Christian and at the same time living in a Muslim country, a Christian woman. And, and this is, uh, you know, like at a very, very young age, really, you know, like at the age of four, you realize that you are different. And you mentioned just even at four years old, knowing that you were different. Was there a specific point when that realization came or were you always aware that you were in a minority? Not really. You know, like it was when I went to the, um, I don't know if you still call it kindergarten or, you know, nursery. Um, and the teacher, you know, like you, you have religion as one of the subjects that you teach, even children at, you know, the age of four. And, you know, like the, we were, the teacher came and she asked all the children to, to learn one of the surahs of the Quran, probably the first one, I can't remember. Um, so I dutifully went back to my, <laughs> to my room and I started reciting the the surah my um my uncle heard me and he ran to my to my mom and he said you know i think that i might be saying something which she shouldn't be saying um and then so my mom came and you know like my family explained to me that you know like i have to tell my teacher the next day that i cannot say these prayers because i'm a christian so you know like as a four-year-old you know like you go there to your teacher and you say and then it's your turn and she says Amal and I said I'm sorry you know like I'm a Christian I'm you know like I can't say this prayer and I still remember the look of the teacher you know she was very upset that a Mm four-year-old could say something like that and that was the beginning you know like I still remember that look as you know like I just yeah it really leaves an impression on you but um then you realize that you are different. But thanks to my family, you know, like it hasn't been a trauma. It was something that, you know, they just explain it, that people are proud of their religion and they expect you to to say that prayer. But you have to be firm in your faith and just say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that because I'm a Christian. Wow, they sound very supportive, Mm, your family. And you moved to Belgium. What was the main reason why that move took place? Um, it was really because my mom was the only one left in Iraq, you know, the whole family uh, immigrated to Canada very long time. So we have now third or fourth even generation really being born there. Uh, my dad loved Iraq and he never wanted to, to leave the country. So, and he died there indeed. Uh, so, uh, my, you know, like in the, in the nineties, you know, like with, uh, with the situation, my mom was the only one a widow with four girls and that's where my grandparents decided you know it's time for us to leave because if something happens they can't come and help you know given the the situation in in Iraq it's not any other country where you're just going like I'm going to get my family out and then you know the traveling was very restricted people from outside cannot come and help you and that's why my, my grandparents you know encouraged us just to say you know this is the time for you to leave why we landed in, in uh, Belgium, that's a big mystery. You know, like we still, after so many years, after 30 years, we are still thinking, wow, why we landed in this country? I don't know. We started studying the language and then while waiting, you know, like for, for the plan to, you know, to really to come to fruition and go to, to Canada to join the family. But, you know, we are still here. You know how things happen. My sisters met their husbands. Yeah. They started their studies. One started medicine, the other one, you know. Sounds like you settled in well. How old were you when you left? And oh, I, was, I was 19. 
it's in a way it's a blessing because I lived long enough in the Middle East to know about the Middle East. And I came, you know, like it was the formation years really for me. But then, you know, like uh, I was really formed, you know, my intellectual formation has been, you know, like on the crossroads. So, you know, like I have both and um, the higher education in Iraq and the higher education in, um, in Belgium or, you know, like in Europe. Uh, and it's a blessing. Oh, amazing. And did you find that there were big differences between how you practiced your faith in Belgium compared to in Iraq? Um, for example, did you find freedoms that you didn't have before and acceptance from the wider community or just different ways that you went about practicing your faith? Um, yes. I mean, we, you come to a Catholic country, you know, like at, at least nominally, you know, like it was um, in the majority at that time, you know, like we're Catholics. Um, yes, you know, uh, so you are more free, especially as a woman, you know, like, so you know that now you can do the things that you weren't allowed to do simply because you were, you know, like in, in, in a country and you had to, to stick to the rules that, so yes, for example, my father couldn't find a job because of his Christian name. That's why we all got Arabic names, you know, just to save us, to spare us that problem. But at the same time, you know, like, so when I arrived in, in Belgium, it wasn't easy because, you know, I mean, uh, there are people who were very, um, uh, they were practicing, they were faithful, but there, there were other ones who were hostile to, to your faith, especially when you're studying at university or, you know. So you had, um, but it was open, so you could discuss your, your, your faith with other people. It wasn't like in Iraq that there will be, you know, terrible consequences if you try to explain your faith to other people. So it was, it was an eye-opener, you know, like you, have, you come with this idea that finally I'm in a free country and I can do whatever I want and I can practice as I wish. But it isn't because then you are ridiculed, you know, and being ridiculed as uh, someone who is a person of faith is as, um, you know, I think that you experience it, it is as difficult as when you are persecuted. You know, it's a different type of, you know, of not accepting you as a person of faith or not accepting your faith. It's a different type, but I think that it was a, a different experience. And that's where you just think, look, I've overcome the difficulty of being in a minority. Now it is really, your faith is being challenged. And can my faith stand up to that challenges or no? And I, I saw these challenges really as a blessing because it, it pushed me to think about my faith, pushed me to challenge my own um, assumptions. And um, so in a way, I would say, you know, that, that was the greatest blessing that I had. Yes, it was a challenge. It was a different way, a different type of challenge. But as I said, it, um, you know, it shaped me in, in a way, you know. So before I was challenging everyone else, you know, like I was building my, I was strengthening my identity. It was I know who, who I was. But now I had to explain who I was and why I was the way I am. If you have to leave your country, you go to another country. It's not always uh, for, um, you know, for happy reasons. You know, sometimes you have really to leave a lot behind. But at the same time, you know, like I would tell young people, especially young people now, they have all these people coming from all different countries. Instead of going to, into your ghetto, you know, go out and meet people and challenge them and challenge yourself at the same time and allow to be challenged, you know, by these people. So um, don't be on the defensive all the time. I was that. Um, if, if you are on the defensive, it means that there's something wrong with you, not with the other per person. And I think that's really the problems now when we, when we look at people, you know, like whatever group that you, you, you don't like or you don't agree with, 
the most dangerous thing is when you start seeing them as a label and not anymore as individuals. Once we stop seeing people as individuals, then we are in a very, very dangerous place, really. You know, like I think that it is the time just to say, hey, hey, I have to stop here. You spoke about challenges earlier. Do you think that your family's faith in Iraq provided solace and was of great help during the Iraq war? I imagine that your family was badly affected by the war, like many were. My family has suffered a lot, you know. Um, My grandmother, for example, lost her house twice. They had to move so many times. Your faith, your family is everything that you need. The rest, you know, you can rebuild, you can regain, you can lose, you uh, you can find again. It helped my family a lot, you know, like it helped them cope with uh, with the loss of my dad at very uh, young age, you know, like we were little girls. And I could see, you know, like I think that many uh, war children will probably relate to my experience when you see your family really suffering and you cannot do anything. So you are suffering on your own as a child, but at the same time, you know, like you see people that you love most suffering and you don't know what to do. You You try to keep as quiet as possible you don't express your feelings because you know that it's the time for other people you know and in my family's life I could see that for them faith was not only a theory by the way that they have accepted dad's um, death and all the suffering that they have been through so you know that faith is not just a theory it's something that really will sustain you not only when you are in difficulty but also will guide you when you are in you know when you when you are happy and you have everything going well for you it's just a lie that will guide you in whatever situation and i saw that light guiding our family um in the really in the most terrible situations and then also you know like i've learned to trust the providence of god you know my my grandmother you know, like i was very very close to my grandmother she was an amazing amazing woman a woman of faith and she didn't have any formal education, but my goodness, she, she was, you know, wisdom on two feet. You know, she was a walking source of wisdom. And she would always say, give God a chance, you know. Uh, allow him to work in your life. And this is, this is very precious because sometimes, you know, like especially now, we want things to happen. We pray and we want an answer immediately. It's like the vending machine, right? You go and you throw your money and you want immediately something. And if you don't get it, you know, you start kicking the the machine because you just think, I want it. Now, give God the chance to work in your life. Do you go back to Iraq often? You know, until, really, until COVID uh, hit us, you know, like I was, the last time I was there, it was uh, November 19, uh, you know, 2019. Uh, Yes, I go very often there because I think it's important not only to um, to sit and fundraise here and help people uh, out there, you have to go there and see what people need, really. And um, and also listen to them, because I'm, I'm in the process of starting um, um, a blog called Authentic um, Artisans of Their Own Destiny. Because what we have to do is... It's, it's great to, to, to help people. You know, charity is important, but sometimes charity can be paralyzing. And it's not only about helping people with money, you know, like I'm going to fundraise and, you know, tell all these uh, stories and show, you know, like how I can save these people. These people are perfectly capable of saving themselves, of rebuilding their lives. I've seen that with my family. 
uh, we cannot paralyze them because we want to do things for them because we know how to do it and they are um, traumatized. They are, you know, the way of getting them out of that trauma is to give them the tools that they need, that they themselves need, not the, the ones that we think that we, we wanted to give them. Gosh, that sounds like some wonderful work that you do. I'd love to ask you some specific questions, which I think might give our listeners a deeper insight into you, if that's okay. Do you feel like your faith has influenced the direction of your professional life? I anticipate an answer to this just from hearing snippets about the work that you've been up to. But yeah, I'd just love to hear from you if you if you think that your faith has influenced the direction of your professional life. You know, for, for me, has really faith has influenced everything because yeah. for me, faith is a reality. You know, like I still remember, uh, not very long time ago, a friend of mine was telling me, you know, you you always bring faith into everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, can you leave faith on the you know on one side and just I can't because really, for maybe for you, for days or Fridays or Saturdays, whatever your faith is, a win-win. It's fifty-fifty. You have to think of yourself as well. But I think that at least in my case, mm-hmm. my faith was always there to say, is this the right thing to do? You know, when, when I die and when I face God, it, will I just stand up in front of him and say, yes, I did the right thing when I did this or said this or that? Apart from religion, what would you say makes you happy in your life or enriches your life in some way? Friendship. We're tribal. We love people who are like us. And, you know, that's why you love your family, your country. I love being with people who are different because since I was a little child, you know, I've been surrounded by people who are different, you know, and it's challenging, but I love it. You know, like I'm not, fr- I'm not afraid of being different. And I don't think that people, we, you know, like sometimes when you think of what would work in a society and how we can solve so many problems is just to make sure that we can work out all these differences and make them disappear. But for me, it's not. No, we have to acknowledge these differences. We have to embrace our differences. But the, the, the big question is, what do you do with that difference? This is the thing. You know, like, how can I live with you being different? And how can we find a common ground, you know, so that you can live your, your difference and me, but at the same time, we're enriching each other without excluding each other. There will be tensions because you are different you know this is this also happens in a family and that's why it is differences because these differences make each one of each one of us unique so yeah friendship i love uh, reading books i love traveling music good food and i really enjoyed my life in in, in england I, I i really found myself again you know there are very different stages where you just think this has been this has shaped me this has been a catalyst in my in my life and I think that my stay uh, you know the, the time I spent in England really shaped me. You mentioned music do you have a favorite piece of music and why is it your favorite? I mean I love Arabic music and I love uh, whatever you call it classical music you know since we were little we we listened to ABBA and classical music you know part of the Arab world I think most of them would love Lebanese uh, voice and beautiful songs. I think that what I love about um, music, aside from classical music, I love hymns very much. Very difficult to say this is the, the one piece of music that I like because there are many that, but you know, classical, I mean, Mozart, any piece of Mozart. One thing that I'm really lucky for knowing Arabic and living in, in Iraq is that 
I can appreciate Arabic poetry is it's there is a richness in Arabic poetry that's beyond telling you know um, so I love poetry I love poetry I love poetry in any language that I can understand finally do you have someone who inspires your faith Yes. I mean, one saying, St. Joseph is someone who was silent, who was someone who was doing great jobs, but, you know, without making too much noise. Amal, it has been wonderful speaking with you and hearing about your fascinating life. Thank you again. And here at Matters of Belief, we shall definitely be following what you get up to in the future.